Chapter Seventeen of Esther Reed Yet Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed Yet Speaking by Pansy. Chapter Seventeen. I wonder what they're all after. In the library awaited Gracie and Mr. Reed, while Mrs. Roberts went merrily to see whether the boys or their host had proved the stronger. I don't believe this part of the program will work, Alfred said confidently the moment the door closed after Mrs. Roberts. Those fellows will all be afraid of Mr. Roberts, and we shall lose what little hold we have on them. They don't look to me as though it ever occurred to them to be afraid of anything, Gracie said. But Alfred Reed, who had studied deeper into this problem of the different classes of society, was ready with his answer. Yes, they are. They can be awed and made to feel uncomfortable to the degree that they will resolve not to appear in that region again. One cannot judge from their behavior in Sabbath school. Some way they recognize a mission school as being in a sense their property, and behave accordingly. But in a man's own house, surrounded by things of which they do not even know the name, he has them at a disadvantage, and can easily rouse within them the feeling that they are trapped than which there is nothing those fellows dread so much, I believe. But they were not afraid of Flossie last week, even surrounded by the elegances of her parlors and dining-room. Ah, he said, his eyes alight, she has a wisdom born of God, I think, for managing these and all other concerns. She is unlike everybody else. Whereupon Gracie Dennis laughed, not a disagreeable laugh, but there came to her just then a sense of the strangeness of thinking that pretty Flossie Shipley, who she had known all her life, and half scorned from the heights of her childhood, because she was a silly little thing, who could not do her problems in class, should have a wisdom unlike any others. Yet almost immediately her laugh was stayed, because the change in Flossie was so great that she, too, recognized it as born of God. Sometimes it came with force to this proud young girl, that if God could do so much for Flossie, what might he not be willing to do with those whom he had made intellectually her superior, if they were but ready to be led? The young man who was studying her watched the grave look deepen on her face, and wondered at its source. What a pretty face it was! Oh, much more than pretty, there was a great strength in it, and sweetness, too, of a certain sort, but he could not help comparing the sort with that in some other faces, and he wondered over the difference. This young lady was a Christian. Why should her Christian experience stamp her with such a different expression from that which others wore? He always finished this sort of sentence with a blank space first, as though he did not choose to have himself tell himself any names. Yet he spoke a name forcibly enough, still gazing earnestly at Gracie. Did you ever meet Miss Joy Saunders? Gracie turned toward him a laughing face. No, but we are very anxious to, Flossie and I. We have both been told that we ought to know her, and told so earnestly that we really think we ought. Who is she? Is she, too, unlike anybody else? Very, he said promptly. I know her very little. She is the daughter of our landlady. I meet her in the hall on rare occasions, and sometimes catch glimpses of her just vanishing from some room as I enter but as for being acquainted with her, I suppose I am not. I think, though of course I am by no means sure, that she is engaged to Dr. Everett. Oh, then, of course, he would naturally think that people ought to know her. What is she like? 
Like nothing, said Alfred, with great promptness. Did you ever know a person named Joy? No, what a singular name. Well, it fits. She is very far removed from mirth, and she is not what people call gay, and she is not outspoken, apparently, at any time, though, as I say, I do not know her. But there is something in her face that fits the name. I do not know what it is. Sometimes I think it is the shining of Christ's face reflected in her. But the puzzle is, why do not other faces have it, faces which belong to him? Perhaps there is a difference in the degree of belonging. Gracie spoke the words very gently, wondering meanwhile at the way in which this thought chimed in with hers about Flossie. Oh, there is, but why should there be? If I belong to Christ, I belong, don't I? There is no halfway service possible. Why do I not so look that others take knowledge of me that I have been with Jesus? How do you know but they do? Ah, I know, I know too well. They are more likely a great deal to take knowledge that I have been with Satan. I feel the frown all over my face a great deal of the time, and the world goes astray a great many times, when I suppose it is just myself that is wrong. But, Miss Dennis, I hunger for the shining of his face in me. That must be the meaning of the beatitude which puzzled my childhood, she answered, trying to speak lightly, to hide feelings that were deeply moved. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Thank you, he said, smiling. There is actually a promise. I had not thought of it. And yet, the thoughtful frown gathering almost immediately, do you suppose that a person who really hungered for a certain thing could be satisfied with anything else? I often have an hour of what at the moment seems to me like hunger for him, but the hour passes, and I get filled, with business, or with plans, or possibly with annoyances, and feel nothing but a general irritation for everybody. Do you think there can be anything genuine about such desires so easily turned aside? Oh, I do not know, said Gracie hastily. Why do you ask me such things? Did not I tell you I was not good? Ask those people who are unlike all others. Why don't you ask this joy? She could tell you, I presume. I can tell you nothing, save that this is a very strange world, not half so nice as I once thought it, and I don't like to think about things. How different he was from other young men with whom she had spent fifteen minutes many a time in gay banter. This was, after all, the thought uppermost in her mind at the moment. Nice Christian men, of whom her father spoke well, and who, people said, were young men to be proud of. It seemed to her that she knew them by the dozens, yet with which one of them had she ever carried on such a conversation as this? With which one could she have attempted anything of the kind, without leading him to suppose that she was taking leave of her senses? She recalled some of the gay words that she had spoken with these others, and tried hurriedly, to decide why it would sound to her perfectly absurd to talk with Alfred Reed in that way. However, she did not want to talk with him. He was too full of questionings. And questions, said poor Gracie, are all that I can ask myself. I want somebody to talk with who is assured of the ground on which he stands, and can tell me why he stands there. There was not time for further talk. They were summoned to the new room. Bursts of laughter greeted their ears as they made their way eagerly across the hall, and Gracie took time to remark that the boys were certainly not awed into silence, 
before the opening door let them into the brightly lighted scene. Every boy was laughing, not quietly, but immoderately, and the center of attraction was evidently Mr. Roberts. "'I have been giving our friends an account of an old army experience,' he said in explanation to Gracie, "'and we have been enjoying a laugh together over the old memory. "'You are all acquainted with Miss Dennis, I think, young gentleman?' "'Clearly there was no need for anyone to introduce Mr. Roberts to the boys. "'Apparently they knew him now better than they did any of the others. "'Yet as Gracie, after shaking hands with each of the guests, "'took a vacant seat by Nimble Dick, "'she was greeted with a confidential whisper. "'That's a jolly chap as ever I saw.' and I never heard anything to beat the yarn he told us for cuteness. Who is he? Why, he is Mr. Evan Roberts, the owner of this house. My eyes, said Dick, gazing about him in a startled way. Look here, he ain't that Roberts from the big store on 4th Street. Yes, he is. He is one of the partners in that store. Then did Nimble Dick give a low whistle, suddenly cut short as the other boys looked at him, and sat up straight in his chair, and for at least a minute was odd, or else was bewildered. If his mind could have been looked into for a moment, something like this might have been seen there. And here I am sitting in one of his chairs, and been laughing to kill over his funny story. If this ain't the greatest lark out, I wonder what they're all after, anyhow. Then the real business of the evening commenced. I should like to describe that evening, but it is really worse to describe than the boys. It was designed to be one of those most difficult evenings, where every act and almost every word has been previously arranged, but arranged in such a manner as to appear like an impromptu effort, the result of merely the happenings of the hour. For instance, Mrs. Roberts aimed at nothing less formidable than the teaching of these boys to read and write, and know as well as ever I know it, that to frankly own that she was ready and willing to give her time and patience in so teaching them, would be to outwit herself. They did not belong to the class who can be beguiled into evening schools. There are such. Mark Culkins would have seized such an opportunity and rejoiced over it, but these were lower in the scale. They did not realize their need, and they had what they in ignorance called independence. They were not to be trapped by evening schools. Therefore it required diplomacy, and no people can be more diplomatic on occasion than certain most innocent-looking little women. Mrs. Roberts had studied her way step by step. Therefore it was that by the most natural passage possible, she led the way to a discussion of different styles of writing, bringing forth to aid her a certain old autograph album which had been to many places of note, among others Chautauqua, and had the names of distinguished persons, as well as of many who were not distinguished, except for Christian endurance in consenting to write in an autograph album. Good writers were talked about and selected, and poor writers were talked about, and it was said by someone, accidentally of course, that a good hand was really an accomplishment. It is more than that, declared Mr. Roberts. A man's business life often turns on it. I have myself had to turn away from several otherwise suitable helpers in our business, because they really could not write a good clear hand, that could be read without studying. "'Are you a good writer, Miss Gracie?' This remark, coming suddenly to Gracie from her host, almost embarrassed her, for you are not to suppose that the very words by which these themes should be introduced had been planned, 
and it had not occurred to Gracie that so personal a question might be asked her. But she rallied quickly. No, sir, I am sorry to say that I am not. I write what Papa calls a mincing hand, all jumbled up together, you know, or running into each other, the letters are, and so difficult to read that Papa said when I came away he hoped I would call on his friend, Dr. Stewart, every day, and write a letter on his typewriter. What is that? interrupted Nimble Dick, his face curious. What? A typewriter? Oh, it is a strange little machine used instead of the pen. At least, a very few people use it. It is quite new, I think, and must be very curious. I never saw one, but the writing looks just like print. Mr. Stewart, a pastor in the city, is my papa's friend, and writes to him on his, and papa reads the letter with great satisfaction, saying to me, There, daughter, that is something like. People who cannot write well enough for others to read should print. They are not so very uncommon, Miss Dennis, explained Dr. Everett, who saw the eagerness in Nimble Dick's face. It is a comparatively new invention, but is being caught up very promptly. I think nearly all the leading lawyers use them, and those who do not own them are getting their copying done at the rooms. They are very ingenious little instruments. Did you say you never saw one? This question from Mr. Roberts to Gracie, and he added, Mrs. Roberts, I believe you have never had other than the first glimpse I showed you in the Parker building. I have an idea. Suppose I rent one of the little fellows to interest us. It would be pleasant to look into it and see how it works. Did none of you ever see one? Well, now, we'll try for that on next Monday evening. I'll have one sent up to-morrow, and, Miss Gracie, we'll appoint you showman for the following Monday. So it is to be hoped that you will employ your leisure in learning how to manage the creature, and perhaps send your father a readable letter at the same time. Now, as may readily be supposed, all this about machinery had not been arranged for beforehand, but was a side issue, born of the fact that the watchful servant of his master saw an eager look in the eyes of the boy Dick directly there was anything said that suggested machinery. One of the great aims of these evenings was to study character, however developed. Having turned his company from the regular channel, Mr. Roberts made haste to put them skillfully back where they were before. Still, it would be a pity to resort to machinery simply because one did not know how to write well. I would rather set to work to correct the error. I happen to know one of our number who can write a very enviable hand. Do you know, Reed, that the letter you wrote me was the first thing which attracted me to you? I remember I showed the note to one of our senior partners, who was particularly disturbed by poor writing, and he said, Engage him, Roberts, do. A young man who can write like that will be a relief. Mrs. Roberts, I move you that we resolve ourselves at this moment to a writing class to be taught by Mr. Reed. My dear sir, will you take us in hand? Something of this kind had been planned. At least it had been planned that Reed should be asked to do this thing, but he found the actual asking embarrassing and struggled with it with flushing cheeks. Gracie came to his aid. I don't know whether I'll take lessons or not. Who wants to expose one's ignorance? Will you teach? Must we each give a specimen of our present attainments? Instantly Reed divined the reason for the question. No, he said eagerly. Oh, no. I should begin with those horrors of your childhood, hot-hooks or something of that sort. Lines and curves, you know. There are not many of them, after all, in our letters, 
and when once a person has conquered them, it is easy to put them together. There was more talk, easy and social. Mr. and Mrs. Roberts, the doctor, and Gracie seemed equally interested in the project, and questioned young Reed until he assured them that he began to feel like a veritable professor. Apparently the boys were forgotten. This very fact put them at their ease, and they listened, interested and amused over the thought that these ladies and gentlemen wanted to go to school. At first I do not think it occurred to one of them that he was included in the proposal to form a writing class. How was it done? I am not sure that any one of the eager group of workers could have told you afterward, so excited did they become over this first scheme. Nobody could remember just what words were said, nor who said them, nor whether the boys all looked equally startled when paper and pen were put into each hand. They remembered that some shook their heads emphatically, and that Nimble Dick spoke plainly. No, you don't. I can't write any more than a duck can, and I never expect to. Mrs. Roberts knew that Dirk Colson's dark face turned a fierce red, and he snapped the offered pen halfway across the table with his indignant thumb and finger. But of these words and acts nobody apparently took any notice. The writing began, and the first marks given as copies were so simple, looked so easy to do, and the attempts of the ladies and gentlemen fell so far short of what the teacher desired, and were so unmercifully criticized by him, and the criticisms were so merrily received by the writers, that at last the whole thing took the form of a joke to Nimble Dick's mind, and he became possessed with a burning desire to try. One by one the boys stealthily followed his example, Alfred taking care to watch eagerly, to commend both Stephen Crowley and Gracie Dennis in the same breath for some true stroke, and criticize both Mrs. Roberts and Nimble Dick for not holding the pen aright. The entire party became so interested that only Mrs. Roberts knew just when Dirk Colson stealthily filliped back his pen from the distance to which it had been rolled, and, sitting upright that he might attract the less notice, tried his hand on the curve which was giving even Dr. Everett trouble. When the young teacher discovered it, he made also another discovery, which he proclaimed. Upon my word, I beg the pardon of each of you, but Colson here has made the only respectable R-curve there is in the company. Then if his sister Mart had seen the glow on Dirk's face, I am not sure that she would have known him. There was a momentary transformation. As for Mrs. Roberts, she bowed low over the letter she was carefully forming, but it was to say in soft whisper heard by one ear alone, Thank God! End of chapter 17 Recording by Tricia G.